Welcome to The Lumber Word, where industry veterans Matt Beamer, Greg Riley, and Ashley Buckholt dissect the world of commodity lumber each week. We bring you up-to-date insights on supply, demand, and market trends, sharing our trading expertise to benefit everyone in the supply chain. Join us for informative and entertaining discussions that guarantee to make you wiser about all things lumber. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 11 of The Lumber Word. Uh, It is actually the 11th episode on October 11th. Uh, Matt and I are running solo today. Greg is over in Europe. He called and said hello to everybody. I want to quickly do the disclaimer. Uh, Any ideas uh, that are shared or talked about on this show or any shows are the ideas only of the people of the show. They're not in their opinions. We don't recommend anybody take our word for anything and come up with your own ideas. So appreciate you, Matt, being here. Matt uh, Matt Beamer from Hampton Lumber Sales. Ashley Buckholt from the Lumber Channel. Uh, Matt and I uh, were chatting before the show. You know, sometimes Matt and I will talk on a Saturday and I'll be like, hey, man, what do you think of the market in here? And an hour and a half later, my wife is saying, what are you guys talking about for that long? So we <laughs> definitely have plenty of uh, of things we can talk about. It's interesting, Matt. Let's talk a little bit about what we talked about last week, we had uh, Lance Lambert on, so we didn't talk as much lumber, but I'm kind of seeing a lot of the same things as last week. You know, you had a great point yesterday when we talked. Things are still relatively busy out there for some people, not for everybody. You can sell a heck of a lot of lumber if you wanted to right now. I don't know if that's necessarily what smart traders want to do. But if you can pick the right points and find the right things, there's probably some good things to buy and there's some willing customers to buy good things to sell out there. What's your what's your thought of things? I think it's uh, overall the market is mixed from the mill perspective at, at our level here at the mothership. Studs are active. You know, we got a, a big chunk of studs sold today. That just goes to show you how much they've fallen, you know, like we were like a month and a half ago talking about how two to six nines and tens were overvalued. Well, that problem has corrected itself. And absolutely two before eights, nines and tens have all gotten to the point where they're starting to be value. And then, you know, I've been fairly busy on my, on my low grade stuff. You know, I think what's maybe not so busy, it's just sort of ho-hum is, is all that mid-grade lumber, the two before through two to 12. So I was talking to a buddy of mine yesterday, and he pointed out that there's several items in spruce on page two of the specified report that are yeah. below the price of two before number three. If you look at two before two and better 12s and 14s, they're printing well below the price of two before number three random. Basically, two to six random is 315 I think. It's printing $40 below two before number three. I could go down the list of other things that are printing below two before number three, but that's that's the kind of stuff that I look at and, you know, oh, hey, that catches my attention. So that's smart, Matt, because we, remember we were talking about this three weeks ago, how I think you said you like two by four 14s, right? I still like them. I, I do, and it makes sense. Now you start looking at specified and what you're saying is some of the specified pricing on the two and better is cheaper than the, the number three. For sure. Right now, two before 12s and 14s, two and better are printing like 30 to $45 below number three. Yeah. And, and to your point on, uh, on on studs, I know out of our of the mill that we sell for, we were at six hundred on two by six nines two or three uh, three three weeks ago, right? 
Sure. And they traded kind of down through the five and, and, and the eastern side, down through 500 in the low 400s. Excuse me, the high 400s, very lightly traded there. But now it's bounced back above the 500 mark for two by six nines. And uh, two by four tens are still getting some lower trading prices today, even out of the east. But shoot, Matt, I, I look at midweek when it comes out and I'm like, okay, well, the one thing I see that's cheap on there or inexpensive. <laughs> two by six. <laughs> two, two, it's okay to say cheap, buddy. We're not going to anger anybody. You know, two by six pine <laughs> is trading below the 300 handle, the three yeah. handle now. And, you know, look what it's done to hem fur and spruce. You know, yeah. I mean, today we're selling two by six hem fur at 450 to 460 Chicago. Two by six spruce. You know, our stuff is a little different because we have a lot of 18s and 20s, and those are worth quite a bit more. But you know, if you just dial up a two to six can random out of the east or the west, it's probably going to trade in that same four sixty to maybe four seventy five range, depending on whose quality it is. So, and that's significantly less than what two before two and better is selling for. It, it it doesn't matter what species hemp fur or or spruce or dug fur. The spread is really in favor of two before right now. And the two to six is just getting crushed. Let's look at two before. So the board I saw trade up on the five hundred seven mark today yeah and yeah. uh, so what are we using into chicago now for freight what did we decide so that's okay. four, that's 397 fob prince george 397 so the board is now above the yep. uh the western random prices is, is random trading at 385 does that sound right yeah i think that's accurate for just okay. like 8 to 16 so you throw some 18s and 20s on there i mean i've got some hard data here we just sold oh not too long ago Hour and a half ago, we sold a couple cars of basically two before two and better, all eighteens and twenties for five seventy five Chicago. So that's three, that's four sixty five Prince George. So we can get an extra sixty to seventy dollars for heavy eighteens and twenties. But like a can, like a four six ten ten fourteen random, sure you could probably buy that in that mid three eighties. I don't think that's a shock. Just so everybody knows, also what Matt's talking about here. I'm going to jump back to one thing I want to highlight something that Matt said here and how it's important that everybody through the supply chain understands what it means to them. So when Matt said 12s and 14s, we're trading at a discount to number three. You have to understand the one really item that's trading high is two by four 16s, right? right. And they still are because an object in motion seems, seems to stay in motion. And that's the coveted, loved coddled item right now everybody wants two by four 16s right what i've seen and matt and i know some of these people through the supply chain home builders large suppliers to home builders are now going to the field and telling their people in the field hey i know you want 16s but i'm not giving them to you i'm not sending them to you by the way you're going to get a lot of 12s and 14s deal with it because we're saving you x amount of money that's making itself through the supply chain last week and this week. The real smart people, like Matt, Matt was probably on it for most people, um, are, are actually making that move. And the reason they're doing it is because in many cases, you don't need 16s. They're the most coveted item on a job site because they're, very, they're divisible by two or four. They're the right. longest length, least amount of cuts. But if you can get your builders to use more 12s and 14s, and 12s are trading at $100, 1,000, less than 16s, that's real money, right? 
What's the high end of what you sold 16s for in the last month and a half into? Uh, 640, 650 delivered to like Dallas area. Okay. Um, so I turn around and I bought two before 14s at 480 delivered to Austin. There you go. Two and better premium, right? I'm, I'm buying yeah. that from a Canadian mill. It's not from the euros. So that spread is $150 or hundred. Let's just say it's 150. Well, that's six, that's 67 cents. Life, yeah. 67 cents a foot difference, a foot of lumber, right? You don't need 16s if you don't, if you, if you, if you can use something else. So just that's, if you're listening to this podcast and there's one thing that you're going to do to save money next week, in our opinion, it's to buy 12s and 14s if you don't, if you can get around 16s. Sure. Exactly. And they can, right? There's plenty of jobs out there that are 12 and longer. And I've had people where I called them on jobs and said, Hey, you need three trucks of 12 and longer. Can I ship you one truck of 12s and one truck of 14s? They're like, yep. Like they don't really care at the end of the day. They're just looking for lineal footage, right? So for those types of customers that are just lineal footage shoppers, then for sure what Ashley just said is true. Exactly. If you need 16s, which in some cases people want them, then it's right. it's not the case. So Matt, you you kind of said, let's just jump to the species quick that we know stuff about. Pacific Northwest, anything that you're noticing different there? Anything going on? Green duck fur has gotten a little better here over the last week and a half, and it's still, it's not going straight up, but it's definitely firmed a little bit across the board which was a dog two weeks ago when you were talking about it it was so bad that you know mills if they if we'd have kept just going down that road of of more production and and lower prices that you would have seen curtailment talk here by the end of this month the log's not cheap right and right it's not getting any easier to produce lumber it's not getting any cheaper to produce lumber so when you're selling green duck for two before it you know three 60 maybe 380 and you're selling two to six at 300 that's a big loser right that the only thing that keeps you in the game is okay long lengths are worth more money premiums worth more money and select struck and one and better and stuff like that so you can kind of keep your sales averages up a little bit just by diversifying what you're making but if all you make is two before and two to six green duck fur yeah that's that's not good Things have gotten better. So I'll say that. And then on the dry hemp fur thing, I've been selling some dry hemp fur narrows into the Midwest. And it seems to be kind of, I wouldn't say it's robust, but it's it's enough business to just sort of keep the piles moving. Mm -hmm. Our biggest concern here is more tuba six. And, and that alludes to what you started the whole thing with tuba six yellow pine pointing out, you know, how cheap that's gotten. And I think that's bleeding into the, the other whitewood species and dug fur. So that's, I would expect at some point yellow pine is going to rally and then the price of hemp fur and spruce might rally a little bit too. On the spruce side of things, you know, I, I've been busy on low grade. We've had a, what I would call maintenance selling on two before and two to six, two and better this week. There's no real pulse to it, Yeah. but, but we're getting orders every day. And, and at the end of the day, it's just work, right? It, it's, what you call like a lackluster market with a, a decent enough volume that at least on the, on the mill business. And then if you want to switch down to inventory levels, I would say that my goal this week was to just sell a pile of inventory. Cause I'm not going to be here next week. I'm going to be traveling. Mm -hmm. And usually when I'm traveling, I, I want to do some, some real damage to my business with inventory orders, 
knowing that I'm going to miss a full week of of sales. So I came into this week really looking forward to finding out if I could do that or not. And so far, I've sold a ton of inventory, which leads me to believe that people's inventory levels are low, generally speaking. Not not everybody has low inventory. And people are receptive to quick trucks, you know, even if they got to pay a 30 or $40 premium to get the wood, it gives them an excuse to not buy a rail car right now. And, and this time of year, maybe that's what their bosses want, you know, we'll see what it really means. But I was encouraged so far this week through uh, two and a half days of trading. I, I, I'm really encouraged by, by the amount of business I've been able to do in the field. And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, I mean, my thoughts are buyers during this time of the year, and I think we've talked about this, Matt, uh, they're generally running their inventory down. Uh, they've got a mandate to run their inventory down. They get bonuses. Some of them paid off of less inventory on the ground. Interest rates are a lot higher. It's more expensive to keep wood on the ground. People are uncertain with these rates, what's going to happen. So they're keeping less wood on the ground. I look at pine, which is generally ship within a 200 radius mile radius of mills. So there's not, in my opinion, as much fear or incentive to have to stock up on pine right now. But when you're running a rail car out of the Pacific Northwest or BC, 2000 miles away or 1,500 miles away, you kind of got to be in the order file every now and then if, you got, if you're going to need it, right? Especially right, as right. a distributor. So my question is this, buyer's heads are, I can still get wood when I need it. When I look at mill lists, I had Eastern mill lists come over today that were cheaper than they were yesterday. <laughs> I mean, yeah, on prices, but they're still, the market's still fluid. I guess what gives first? A fall in demand? And I think this is in everybody's head. Is there a fall in demand that's going to happen first? Or is there going to be a supply pullback first? And I think we're kind of teetering on that, the, the precipice, is that the right word, of uh, what's going to happen? Is there going to be demand shrink a little bit or is uh, not the fourth quarter i think the fourth quarter is going to be as good as it's been all year okay so so we've we've taken the approach i'm not when i say we i mean the three of us yeah we've we've taken the approach throughout this entire year and this goes back to last winter before we even started fiscal year 2023 you know we were going to go into this year knowing that we were going to be more cautious that the market was going to be a little bit more difficult in order to pull a margin out of, you know, when the market goes up 800 points, it doesn't take a genius to make some money on a few cars, right? When you're in this kind of a market where you actually have to grind and, and make some good decisions and be disciplined with hedging your inventory and, and be disciplined about maintaining the turns of your inventory, like, you know, this is now, it's a job. And so yeah. uh, we all agreed, you and me and Greg agreed that this year would be a little different and that we were probably going to end up seeing people, including ourselves, keeping lower inventory levels and taking less risk. Yeah. Well, that's what's happened. And yet, at the same time that I say that, it's been a pretty good year. It's been a surprisingly good year based on um, what we expected, right? And th this is true not just for me, but it's true for Hampton. So we're pleasantly surprised with the results so far of the year. I think our customers are pleasantly surprised with the results of the year so far. Remember when we were asking, you were asking me about what people's sentiments were back in July about the yeah. end. And I said, everybody seemed happy because everybody's making money. Yes. Well, 
I think that's true. Other than the mills, so lately the Canadian mills in the last several months are are the ones that are kind of the the odd man out. They're not they're not making any money, and they're and their losses now. If the, if you if you look at random links and and pay attention to what they're selling stuff for, they've got to be significant. I I don't think that they're small. I think that they're moderate to to high. I don't think demand's going to change all that much here over the next 60 to 90 days. Uh, there might be some weather-related or regional stuff that slows people down. But overall, I think that the builders want to finish the year on a positive note. And I think the market sort of favors them, you know, where they can they can go ahead and write down the mortgage rate and they can throw in some incentives for the, for the buyer that an existing home uh, seller, like if I wanted to sell my house or you wanted to sell your we can't do that, right? They they probably have a little bit more room in, I, I can't speak for all of them, a little bit more room in their margins right now to make adjustments to keep inventory moving. For sure. They just have, yeah. they have the advantage. And so I think they'll probably continue on the path that they've been on, which has been pleasantly surprising for all of us. And I think the mills are the most likely to cry uncle first. And I, and I think that's both US and Canadian. I think the Europeans have already preemptively cried uncle by publicly stating, and I'm and I'm seeing it with with what I'm being able to buy and what I'm being offered from the Europeans. They said they weren't going to make the same mistake this year that they made last year, and you know, so far they aren't. We'll see. But my opinion is that the mills are going to probably just run through October and see where that gets them. And then if if things are pretty bleak going into November and December. You'll see extended downtime announced uh, to do with the holidays. So I, mean, I, I think right now when you're talking, um, you know, going into Q4. Yeah. I think um, between Q3 and Q4, I'm trying to recall, this This is a time when mills are pretty, you know, the weather is still decent. They're still producing pretty well right, right. now. I right. know when I look at the Eastern mills, the ones that I talk to and the ones that I have vision and can see into they're coming up with ample amounts of inventory every day they need to move, right? Right, right. And they're but here's the difference. They're moving it. They're finding a way to move it all the time now. Right. If you're so if you're a buyer and you have a decent firm out there and you can move stuff and help your mill out uh, or your mills, you're probably going to be pleasantly surprised on what you can do. And back to what you said about keeping uh inventory in the ground, I think Matt, this year has been good for people, especially like you. Greg and some other people that actually do take managed risk and put, let's say maybe less than last year, but still large amounts of inventory on the ground, right? When you right. look at the dollars that sometimes our companies trust us with, it can boggle your mind sometimes, right? right? But but you're being rewarded from buyers that know they can go to you and get wood shipped to them within seven days or sooner, right? Or sure. even two weeks or sooner. And as you said, being pleasantly surprised, you know, we did our forecast for Q3 and uh, Greg's always positive. You did a little better than that? We did. And uh, yeah. and I was like, and Greg's like, yeah. And he goes, you know, for Q4, we're going to forecast this and hopefully we do better too. But it just, the market seems to climb the wall of worry and continues to just surprise me how well it does and how how fluid it still is, if that makes sense. Well, I think that's because we've been trading in a narrow range that allows the guy holding the inventory to to make fairly calculated decisions um, and then hedge it when yeah. the board goes to a premium. 
but also it keeps the buyers coming back on a regular basis for more trucks of material to to just run their business. You brought up a great point. It made me just highlight an issue here. You were talking about Canadian mills. Probably you look at these numbers, I'm, I'm pretty certain they're some of these even best costed mills. It probably doesn't look real good right now. But what have we, you and I, Greg, started talking about it a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago. Hey, what's going on with the anti-dumping and what's going on with the cross-border dispute? Well, surprise. Yeah, did you, you know, see that today? Yeah, all of a sudden it was. It came out that I think you put it perfect yesterday. The mills at some point are going to want their money back when it, when you're talking about billions of dollars, right? Yeah, for sure. And the only way to start is to start talking about it. So I saw where one of the I'm going to be wrong in saying this. There was some court of arbitration or world court that said that the anti-dumping may be higher than it should be. And anyway, sure. the conversation has started, right? Yep. So I think that one thing that we will see over the next month. 30 or 60 days is some type of attempt to start some negotiation back and forth. This is just my opinion, trying to trying to bring that money back across the border, right? Do you think that if the market was 600 mil, we would be seeing those news stories or hearing the chirping about the the tariffs and the in the duty? I don't think so. I, I don't think you probably yeah, would, but either. it was inevitably going to it was going to inevitable going to happen at some point. My guess is, you know, Last time that this happened, and just so everybody knows on here, these border disputes have been going on for 100 years, right? And, yeah. and they, it's rinse, <laughs> rinse and repeat, and they just come out at some different type of formula and format. And now, nine or $11 billion, does that make sense? Or am I way too high yeah, on no, that? It, it's, it's a big number, yeah. So if they got 80% back last time, I don't know what they anticipate they'll get back this time, but there's going to be there'll be some type of negotiated settlement is my guess. And then yeah. they'll probably start and do it all over again. But if I am a Canadian mill, I would want my money back at some point right yeah. right now. Right. It's like when you're between jobs and you're running down on savings, you, you go to those investments that you got sitting there and you figure out how to unwind them sometimes. Right. There's some mills that really need that money. You know, the smaller and medium sized sawmills probably really, Really want that money now? Um, yeah, that was a terrible analogy. You should never. I should never try to do, use analogies because they never work real well. But the point <laughs> is, the, the, they they're actually terrible. It's the worst way to argue or talk about something as an analogy. But exactly, they probably is they're looking and sitting around saying, "Hey, guys and girls, it's a great time to uh, to get some of our money back." And some of these mills have a lion's share of that those billions of dollars sitting there. Right. Right. Well, let's move on to other news. And obviously other news this week would be the Middle East and then, you know, the potential for energy prices to spike up even higher. Last week, Greg talked about stagflation in the 70s. I was alive. You were alive when mm -hmm. stagflation occurred. Uh, we were too young to really know much about it. But, you know, we're in a situation now where where you've got two different wars going on and uh I don't expect energy prices to just come tumbling down anytime soon. Now, maybe I'm wrong, but my guess is based on the world events, you're going to see a tightness in supply there. So that puts a crimp on people's budgets, right? I mean, I go fill up my, my I got a Yukon XL and it, it has a 30 gallon tank. I fill it up. It's 120 to $130 a pop. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's no fun. 
And then the instability that that creates when you've got these regional conflicts. I mean, I, I think that that's going to, that's going to have a, an effect on consumers and, 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 and the market in general. I mean, not just lumber, I just mean the overall world economic markets. But then on the other side, you've got, you know, a presidential election coming up next year. You know, you've got a little bit of optimism in the building sector here. Uh, uh, Lance talked about how much money's sloshing around and in building that has nothing to do with single family housing. He also talked about the advantage that new home construction and those companies that are involved in that have. One thing he didn't talk about, but he did kind of touch base on was lower rents in some markets. And now the math is in favor of the renter, not the buyer, as opposed to like, say, 10 years ago when houses and mortgages got so low in value that you could buy a house for less than what you could rent an apartment for. Well, we flipped the script. We're back to where renting's cheaper. And if people are a little bit uncertain about what to do, they're going to rent. So we're seeing a bunch of new business for the first quarter of 2024 all coming in here at the same time. They want to lock in their jobs and it might have something to do with that. It might have something to do with the fact that these guys look at a futures chart and they realize that, you know, nine times out of 10, the first two weeks of October is the low of the year. Who knows why? But all of a sudden, you know, we've got we got a bunch of job quotes staring us in the face that that we didn't even know existed four days ago. Yeah, no, no doubt, Matt. And one thing, another thing with the price of energy uh, that traders in the lumber side have to be aware of is if you're pricing jobs out forward uh, and you're basing it on a buck something a mile and it's a long ways, <laughs> it may be, you may be right, but <laughs> you should probably err on energy prices and diesel being higher three months out from now, six months out, dependent upon what you price. Because being in that position before in my life, you can be offsides pretty quickly on the freight aspect of it if you're hauling a long haul. Let's talk about, that leads into a really good observation. If you look at the futures contracts right now, and they settled today at 5.07 in, in November, okay, 5.15 in Jan, 5.24 in March. Okay, so the board is allowing me to, and Greg talked about this last week, the board's allowing me to buy November, buy Jan, and buy March for future shipment, or to hedge a job, or to forward sell. I mean, there's all different aspects of this, but it's only going to cost me $8 a thousand for cost to carry between November 15th and January 15th. And it's only going to cost me $9 a thousand between Jan and March. Well, I'm here to tell you with the cost of money being as high as, as it is right now and, and storage fees and you know all that stuff that comes into play, what kind of an interest rate do you pay internally to your own company? Yeah. Um, it's more than $8 or $9. It's probably more like 20. Probably more like $10 a month at minimum to hold lumber for people. The board has given me a discount to hold lumber, basically. I, mean, I just think that's significant and that's something that maybe people are paying attention to. I also think that the reason why the board's up, you know, 18 points or 19 points here in the last 24 hours is the roll's coming. Yeah, and there's there's a little bit of front running going on right now, and you know some speculators are are just trying to get ahead of them. Which is the short funds rolling, right? Yeah, the short yeah. funds are going to roll their position over into uh, Jan. Yeah, that's a good uh, good point, Matt. It's funny when um, we were talking, a bunch of people called have called us, 
have called me and sent me notes, called Greg, sent Greg notes like, hey, when are you guys going to be live doing this again, right? <laughs> like I've gotten a bunch of calls on it. So I had the opportunity to ask people, what do you like about the show? What do you want more on the show of? Do you mind that it's on a podcast format? Do you want it live? And it seemed a lot of people liked it live because they liked interacting and asking questions during it, right? And it was real time, which I get. And we're going to try to go back to that at some point here. But right now we're trying to master the podcast side, make that clean for everybody to listen to it. But people liked when we talked about prices and numbers, right? Just prices and numbers in general. Sure. They liked our, you know, merry date breakup segment because <laughs> um, I had like six six people because it gets them thinking about prices they may not be thinking of before. And sure. then another group of people, I'll call them the younger up and coming people in an industry, like the educational side of it because they said they don't get as much education like this, raw education where traders are talking about stuff together, right? Because I've been on floors before where some of the older traders don't want to give away a lot of information, right? And they kind of protect oh, yeah. some of that. And yeah. you and I you and I have talked about it. Maybe we're giving away too much information sometimes, but I like talking. So the education segment today, I kind of want to just talk about, I consider you a 1% trader, like, a, like in that top percentile of people that trade a lot of volume and specialize and are really good at your craft, right? I, well, thank I, can, you. I consider you that. So what are some of the top traits that come to the top of your head of what got you there? Well, when I was young, when I was 27, the very first thing I did was come up with a business plan that made sense for the company that I worked for, regardless of what they told me they wanted me to do. So my first job, they gave me a red book and they said, we want you to call all these guys in Baltimore and Washington, D.C. and sell them spruce out of the East. I'm like, okay, cool. So I started cold calling people, people like Ryland Holmes. Remember that name, Ashley? Yeah, I totally do. Yeah. Component component systems, you know, like yeah. this, this goes back 30 years. These companies don't even really exist I anymore. had the red so, book, man. You'd go through that thing and yeah. just start. Yeah, yeah. I quickly realized after three weeks or so of that, that it was, was not going to be a living. And, and, and the reason there was, there was two parts to the reason one, the company I worked for specialized in Western species. I mean, that that's what they were really good at. We didn't really have an Eastern spruce department. There was like three or four guys that sort of ham and egged it. You know, they, they weren't that good at it. And I recognized that like, I'm not going to tie my boat to, to these guys because they're not even invested in it full-time. This is like a part-time job for them. So what are we good at? I, and here's where I, here's where I made a good key career decision in my first three weeks of, of trading lumber. I realized I sat down and I thought about the company I worked for. What do we do? Well, what do we not do? Well, and I mm -hmm. want to go where we do well already. So I just want to add to that. And then I, I realized what we did well, which was Western species. And then, and then I started looking at the map and I'm like, we don't sell in Colorado. We don't sell in New Mexico. We don't sell that much in Texas. We sold a little bit. We didn't sell that much. We really didn't sell that much in Arizona. You know, I mean, like the, the, the Southwest was kind of wide open. We literally didn't sell anybody in Colorado. Mm -hmm. And so I just started calling everybody in Colorado from there. Everything took off, and then and then as my career progressed, I picked up more accounts throughout the. I moved more southeast, all the way over to Florida, 
you know, and I sold people in Pennsylvania. I sold people in, in Michigan, Minnesota, Wisconsin. I've kind of been all over the place. I would say that have a business plan. First of all, be thoughtful about your company's strengths and weaknesses and then go where the strength is, right? And then another thing that I would recommend for people is don't put all your eggs in one basket in terms of what you trade. You can't just trade two before 92 and 5 eighths and 104 and 5 eighths and 116 and 5 eighths. You can't just trade two before two and better, two before six, two and better random. You got to find some niches. Because everybody trades studs. Everybody trades two before and two before six random two and better. You know, you're competing with everyone. So your margins are always going to be smaller on that unless you just hit a home run. But, you know, on a day in, day out basis, your margins will be smaller on, on high volume commodities. If you want to pick up more margin in your, in your career, you got to find Maybe you do a little bit of a niche business in Idaho white pine boards or some cedar fencing or or in my case, I, I'm kind of one of the last guys on planet Earth that still knows a little bit about Ponderosa Pine Dimension. You now, that's just stuff that bled out of my, my New Mexico business back in the 90s and early 2000s that I've just retained that information and I have some customers that still buy that. Matt, that's great. That's a great point about the budget. That's when I first wanted to break free from, you know, first of all, it's important to know if you're a trader or you're a salesperson. Some people don't know the difference. A salesperson sells for other people and doesn't really take any risk. Right. And sometimes that's how we all start our career out as. I yeah. Mean, I did. Me. Yep, me too. And I would call myself a trader. And I remember a guy grabbed me one time and said, you're not a, <laughs> you're not a trader yet. <laughs> and then when, I, then when I first, I took my first speculative loss, he's like, now you're a trader. Right. right. So, but when you do want to become a, a trader, you, you the biggest thing Ted Block told me and Greg, when I first wanted to set up my own reloads and do them and he goes, they go, fine. They want, I want a, a budget. I want to know how much money it's going to require. Uh, here's the rates you're going to pay. Um, I want to know what items you're going to keep. If they're A, B, C, or D items, I'm like, what's that? An A item, <laughs> right? An A item, an A item is like a two by four, ninety-two and five ace or one of four and five ace studs. It turns twelve or fifteen times a year at three to six percent margin, depending upon how the market is. Period. End of story. Right? A D item may be a two by four, one oh six and an eighth, or some odd species or some other grade that you keep sure. on the ground that somebody needs, but it only turns three or four times a year, but you can make 25, 30% margin on it if you have it. Right. But you got to know the difference. You do want to concentrate and dominate on a certain area or customer base. You, you can't be everything to everybody. Right. I know I wasn't successful till I learned how to take a loss and not concentrate on it after I did it. Right. Because no matter what you do, as a trader in lumber, you are going to take a loss at some point. So you have to understand that it's never anything personal. That's just the market and then move on again and not and, and, and learn why you, why you did or didn't do it. One of the most successful things I've been taught is being able to have a bid or an offer to buyers and sellers on a phone call with them at the time you're talking to them that you don't have to get back to them. And I know Matt, I know you know that like the back of your hand, because when I tell you, ask you something, you're like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm bidding this, this, and this, and here's what people came back on. I know I'll pay this, this, and this, like you need to be that good because. <laughs> Sounds like I'm telling you too much. Well, no, but that's, <laughs> but you know, Hey, like Greg used to tell me, like, he goes, you were just on the phone with that person right. and, and you were 99% on the way to an order or 
you could have put this bid in to buy that from this. And then you, right. in a moving market, try to call a mill back and do it and you're 10th in yeah, line, right? Screwed. You're yep. screwed. So, so I guess that's my thing to any of the young traders out there. Be Know the market. You know, going back to your um, being able to take a loss, you know, this goes back to when I was young. I have been able to be long and short at the same time and sleep at night. And that's, I don't know if it's, if that's um, something I learned how to do or if it was just in me. But I think that my observation over the years has been that people that can do that, that can be long and short at the same time and explain why and have real smart reasons as to why they're long and short at the same time. Those are your best traders. You know, like they really fully understand the market and they, and they're able to live with the risk of being long on something over here and then short on something else over here. And they can sit there and show you on the chessboard, hey, this is how it all works. I would say that if you're a young person trying to break in this business, if you can follow some of the basic advice that we just talked about, but beyond that, continue to ask questions and educate yourself and align yourself with, with veteran people that you consider to be smart. And then just pick their brain because guarantee they want to tell you like, I mean, in my, in my career, I've had a lot of smart people that have helped me and mentor me over the years. And this goes back, you know, when Ashley and I first started talking in like 99, 2000, we've shared a lot of information with each other that sh that's probably helped. We've probably helped each other financially over the last 23 years, even not even necessarily trying to, but just indirectly. And so you know, there's people that have been in this business for a long time that, that we all can learn from. And when you find those people, you know, just start asking them questions. Don't feel like a dummy. Just ask questions and, and pay attention. Absolutely, Matt. And, and run from people, run from the people that get you that, give you that vibe that they're not going to help you or are actually out to hurt you. <laughs> and there's some of those people out there too. Well, I mean, I, I'm a believer that you can tell I mean, maybe, maybe not, but I think most people can tell people that know something versus people that pretend to know something. Yeah, I think people that know something just talk and they're not trying to make you like them more or impress you. They're just telling you what they know uh, with really no agenda. And people that are BSers are trying to impress you and, and puff their chest out a little bit, you know, and I... There's a difference. Maybe it's subtle, but I think most of us can pick up on that. Yeah. And the one last thing I know, Greg, always, it's more important to get rid of the negative thoughts. You should have positive thoughts, but get rid of the negative thoughts every day you come in, right? Because we all have them. Leave them at the door, whatever you can, because they come across on the phone. They come across everywhere. Get rid of the yeah. negative thoughts. Keep the positive stuff out there. And and if you can do that, you'll you'll be just fine. And then, you know, I think that kind of took how do you build a great customer over time? You kind of do all those things. Your customers are going to call you because you are their outlet to the information in the market, right? And they're calling you because they respect you and they're giving you orders because they like to hear what you have to say and you, you do good things for them, right? So basically learn a market, learn a skill and be a good person, right? Do what you say and say what you do and keep your word. You know, your word and your reputation at the end of the day is all that really matters in the long run. And all the other stuff is secondary to that. You know, align yourself with smart people that you can learn from, but also high character people, right? I mean, and a long time ago, I realized that my time was valuable in this business. 
And if I didn't like you and didn't trust you, the customer, then I just wouldn't call you anymore. I just, I'd move on, you know? And so what's happened over the last 30 years is that I've got myself a stable of customers that I really like and I really trust. And so it's not a big deal for me to pick up the phone and call them. You know, it's not work. I actually enjoy talking to them. You know, these are my business partners. So those are things that I, I think help you to build a great customer over time is that you have to genuinely care about their business. You got to have your own sense of integrity and character too, right? So, you know, if you get a claim or if there's a dispute between you and the railroad or the customer, you know, solve it right away. Don't, don't make excuses and blame somebody else. Just, just handle it. That type of stuff is noticed by people. And, and over the long run, you're going to get uh, favorable treatment from those same people because of those traits that you've exhibited, right? Do the things in the morning. Like I always have a list and I always try to write down the three things I don't want to do that day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I try to get, I shouldn't say that. That's I write the three hardest things that I probably have to do that day. And I try to do those first. That's a great piece of advice to every trader, like do the hard thing first. So Go out and buy a million feet of two before random. Sell off the eights and tens and twelves first, right? I yep. mean, anyone can sell fourteen no longer, but the the hard work, getting rid of the the the, the crappy lengths, is is more valuable than selling the good lengths, right? Yeah, or going to settle that claim where there was some bad units or something where you're just dreading doing it. But you know what? You do those first three things in the morning. Everything's yep. so much easier. And like Matt said, your customer is like, wow. This person called me and handled it. I didn't think they were, I didn't, I didn't want to handle it either. Right. So <laughs> be the leader on that. What, well, cool, Matt. Um, I, this is, this is kind of like our, our Saturdays are sometimes talking. We're like, is, we're doing some teaching here, buddy. We're, 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 get, we're f- firmly in the education segment of this 30, 40 minutes of, of talking. I love it. I love it. Well, <laughs> so that concludes our episode 11. Um, Matt Beamer from Hampton Lumber Sales. Next week, Matt's going to be out. Greg and I will, uh, take on the the shoulder the task of talking about the market please register or sign up on uh, spotify apple uh, whichever venue you prefer send us some information uh, to matt beamer or to ashley buckle give us some information of what you want to hear what you like hearing and uh, we'll look forward to doing this next week and uh, matt will be on in a few more weeks so everybody have a great week trading lumber and uh, we appreciate you listening <laughs>